Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do in these Before You Quit podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz. I am your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry, which provides encouragement, counseling, support to people in ministry that are struggling, that are looking for direction, that are trying to process maybe difficulties, maybe just even trying to figure out what to do next. Uh, Those are the sort of things that we uh, provide support to. And I don't put a plug in too often, but if you know of someone who needs our help, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us or go to our website, www.fruitfulvineministry.com, www.fruitfulvineministry.com. All right, pastor and church leader and also those of you who love the church, uh, I want you to be thinking about something here as we reconvene church life following this COVID-19 season. Uh, In fact, I've been wondering how I would have done if I was pastoring during this time. I don't think I would have done that well. I'm by nature a rather uh, impulsive, impatient person. In fact, one of my the first words I learned as a kid was the word impetuous because that's what my dad would keep calling me. <laughs> and I didn't understand what it meant until later in life. Uh, but I don't think I would have done too well. But one, one of the things maybe I would have done, I think, is to reflect on, as again, prior to the congregation regathering again, is, um, is, is maybe value more the gifts of the people in the church and what they bring to the mission of the church, the giftedness of of those who are part of our body. Uh, I think one of the reasons why I see a lot of pastors burnt out and lonely is because they do too much themselves. Maybe they just don't have a good biblical understanding of the giftedness of people. Well, we're going to be talking about this today with Mark Barnard and Ken Quick. Uh, we're going to be talking about dancing in the church. Yeah, you heard that right, but it's not that kind of dancing. It's uh, where there is a dance of gifts taking place in the body. Uh, and in fact, the, the discussion is really going to surround a lot. I feel like I've been doing more book reviews recently, but uh, really when I talk to authors, we're talking about far more than just what they've written. Uh, but the book they wrote is The Dance of the Gifts, and uh, this seeks to help uh, enable church leaders, this is a quote from the back of the book, to discern God's will for your ministry in a thoroughly biblical manner by developing a better understanding of how spiritual gifts work together. So that is the dancing metaphor that is there. You're going to love this. You're going to love listening to Dr. Kenneth Quick and Reverend Mark Barnard. I won't go through all their bio because I want to jump into this, but you can go to the website and get to know them better. Uh, I've collaborated a lot with Mark. He's a good friend, and it was just great getting to know uh, Ken Quick as well. Uh, they're both part of the uh, Blessing Point Ministry and, and previously wrote a book a lot of churches have, have used, The Healing of the Heart of Your Church. So anyway, let's go ahead and jump in and join in that conversation right now. All right, well, I have the privilege to have two men, uh, one older friend and a new friend that I'm making today, uh, Mark Bernard, uh, Barnyard, I call him sometimes. I had to get that in there, Mark. (laughs) Thank you. Hope you feel better now. Yeah, I feel a lot better. Yes, I've been rehearsing that joke all night. And uh, Ken Quick, thank you so much, Ken, for being part of the Before You Quit podcast. Happy to do it. So Ken, why don't you start and just briefly share how you and Mark connected? Uh, I know you've been 
both collaborating together for some years in a ministry called Blessing Points. Uh, came out of uh, really the healing of the heart of the church uh, book that you wrote. And then we'll go following that, we'll go ahead and jump into the conversation today, which uh, centers around a, a recent book that you both wrote on uh, the dance of gifts. So I look forward to that. But yeah, go ahead. Mark, uh, Mark jumped in at an interesting time. I remember getting this letter from this guy I'd never met uh, with a packet of material of. Uh, Two describing two churches he had led through the process. He had I'd written a book at that point, Healing Heart of Your Church, and he had read it and uh, had led two churches through the process. And the second one he had documented pretty fully, and uh, a CMA church. And uh, I was struck by the, the the depth of the material that he had worked through with this church. Uh, but then he called me and uh, I told him I taught a course and he came up with Jeannie to a course that I taught called Exegesis of Church and Community. And um, out of that, he, we invited him over to dinner on a Thursday night. And uh, he said, uh, would you be willing to leave the seminary and come start a ministry with me? I really feel God's calling us to, to, to do this with other churches. Um, I had been doing a little bit of that. That's why I wrote the book. But uh, he wanted to start an organization to do it. And uh, uh, I, I didn't have to think very long or pray very long on this. I said, God, I, I remark, I don't feel like that's, that's what God's calling me to do. But I'm more than happy to lay my hands on you and let you lead a ministry like that. And I'll work for you. Um, I'll just be a consultant because I think, you know, God has called me to the, the seminary and I can change the world from there. And I wasn't too sure I could change the world just doing that full time. <laughs> Great gift of faith that Mark has because he did. He stepped out and took control of that and began to do all the things that you have to do to set up a ministry, which you probably yeah. be familiar with. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and Mark, um, uh, again, I don't want, uh, again, the benefit we have here is there's a previous podcast where, and I'm just remembering now that a lot of your story and how, you, you know, the journey to you meeting with Ken and starting the ministry called Blessing Point is in that podcast. Uh, so, Mark, you, you, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting authors write compelled by something. There's a burden that leads people to write. Uh, if, if there's not, then, you know, usually a book bombs, but if it comes out of a passion and a deep concern. And so you both partnered together uh, through your ministry. It's really the product of a lot of what you've seen, uh, a book called The Dance of the Gifts. And that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. So what, uh, tell us the story of what led, what's the burden that led you to write that book? The uh, ministry that really has a couple phases to it. One of those phases is a retreat we hold with churches where we uh, review their history, uh, the good things that Jesus would commend, the challenges they faced, and the crises they've been through. And we're trying to discern what Jesus would say to our church, that particular church we're consulting with, just as he had something to say to the seven churches in Revelation. And so um, we've been doing this for 15 years now. And the process is just repeated over and over again. We don't really do anything different with any church, regardless of the size. But we gather the leaders and their spouses together, anyone from the congregation who wants to come to this particular retreat. 
And at the retreat, as the stories unfold from the church's history, we will periodically stop and ask the participants, what, what do you hear Jesus saying to our church? Or we'll ask them, if Jesus was giving us advice about this particular era of our history, what would he say to us? And, and kind of we set the landscape of the retreat so that we want to encourage 100% participation. We don't want people not participating if the Lord is stirring them to say something. But in the, in the process of doing that over and over again in different churches, different denominations, different states, we began to recognize that we saw the same spiritual gifts operating from church to church. The faces would change. But you could immediately discern what spiritual gifts were speaking when they were giving their opinion on the church's history. Uh, if someone had a more prophetic gift, they were very much interested in right and wrong, you know, or correcting wrongs in the history. If someone had a mercy gift, uh, they would be much more tender and careful about how those situations were handled and how they would be resolved. If someone had a discernment gift, they might see through kind of the external aspects of the conflict and go to the heart of it. And so we began to see how people were using, or the Holy Spirit was using people's gifts in each of these situations. And there always came a point where we would kind of pursue, well, what is the root issue? What is the root cause that we need to learn about our church from the Lord? And we'd go round and round and people would suggest one thing, but when they suggested a particular thing, and I remember in one church, uh, it was a Quaker church in Iowa. We went around and around. The people were actually getting angry with me because they thought I knew what the root answer was. And I would not tell them. They yeah, want they want us to give them the answer. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I, I really did not know, you know, and I am just waiting for something to happen in this and this little lady who is in her 80s stands up and says, could it be we stopped listening to the Lord a long time ago? And for Quakers, listening to the Lord is a key part of their heritage and how they kind of communicate with God and communicate what God is saying to them. And so for her to say that particular thing, it just drove a knife into the heart of the whole room simultaneously. And though while different gifts were trying to articulate what the right issue was, it did not come together until this lady said the thing she said. And I mean, the room went pin drop silent afterwards. Mm. I mean, everyone was just gripped by the reality of what the real issue was. And so that was a moment of what we call resonance. And so we're seeing this kind of thing happen in church after church, and we're, and we're observing it, and we're putting it together, and, we're real, and we began to look for it. We're looking for that key moment when we get to resonance. We just see it. Define, so define resonance because that's a yeah. that's a key part in this uh, yeah. in, in your book and also in in the way you frame this uh, you know this argument really that a church is is gift based and right. and we need to appreciate the the value of that. Right. So resonance is a moment when uh, there is an internal agreement with the external Holy Spirit that what we're hearing is from God. And we experience this personally um, all the time. It's that internal witness of the Holy Spirit that Paul talks about, the assurance that we are sons and daughters of God. We just know that we know that this is the case in our soul as deep down as it can go. And when the gifts, when the variety of gifts are operating, uh, you know, they're all inspired by the Holy Spirit. They all find their source from the Holy Spirit. 
and they are all uh, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So when, when the Lord speaks to the group from the outside in, there is this kind of um, recognition, immediate recognition, this immediate mm-hmm. awareness that what we're hearing is from the Lord. And, and this is really hard to articulate because it's such a, it's an experience thing. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to see it to understand yeah, it in a sense. And, yeah. And, well, I think we all we all can look back over our our experiences, particularly in ministry, and say, yeah, we we have seen it, but maybe did not have the categories to right. uh, to be able to understand it. Um, so, so can uh, this uh, this resonance uh, can come with tension, uh, and you both talk about that. It was fascinating to me to appreciate something different about even conflict and tension because if God is going to is is going to speak through the gifts of his people which is what you're saying Mark it will create tension um talk a little bit about the value of that of, of tension in that resonance well i think one of the things that again we have learned by going into these painful situations and watching the way the gifts operate is that um I used to call it polarities, that, that the body of Christ is made up of polarities and the nature of a polarity is it has this tension between it. And God often sets up churches with a number of these type things. I think that was my early conception of it. Uh, as time went on, I began to see, you know, what we're actually looking at and what God describes is the body. And the way the body is constructed, every joint we have in our body that, that operates has on on that joint two sets of muscles, one that extends and one that flexes. And all movement and all strength uh, is um, created by that tension between the muscles. And But they sit on opposite sides. So for flexion to take place, one muscle group is operating, the other is kind of releasing. And to extend, it's the other way around. Spiritual gifts we found is God's way of kind of imparting to the body of Christ, the individuals in the body of Christ, parts of his attribute, his DNA. So this is kind of where we get a a heritage from God that uh, the Holy Spirit brings to us that is part of his attributes, communicable attributes. We don't get omniscience or omnipresence or things like that, but the communicable attributes like mercy, like justice, uh, like faith. Uh, These are things uh, that uh, God imparts to us. And the tension is something that takes place in God's own heart that I believe he inducts his people into. So at all times, we know God's great mercy and God's amazing justice exist in tension in his heart around any moral issue. And depending upon what's happening with this issue, uh, God feels that tension between justice and mercy because that's who he is. So he lets his body begin to feel that too. But what we often, what God feels as tension, we often see as conflict. Yes. So around a board table, if there's somebody who has committed a public sin and the board has to deal with that, 
Uh, oftentimes, the people who are gifted with prophecy and are justice-oriented, have that part of God's DNA, are going to articulate with passion what is wrong here and what needs to be made right. And unless we do this, you know, it's not going to be right. And the scripture says this, and prophets always speak with this finger out. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've discovered that. That's an absolutely true statement. Somebody you should come up with a hand motion for each of the gifts. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I have to think about that one. Justice is clear, though. Yeah. Um, but uh, the gift of mercy is going to feel just as strongly and just as passionately that we have to be careful here. And we have to understand that we're made up of broken people. And uh, God is a forgiving God. And we can't just put on cleats and walk all over this person. We have to uh, leave room for mercy to operate here and understand how mercy is going to operate. And usually the mercy guy sees the prophet as uh, harsh. Yeah, stubborn. Stubborn, Obstance. harsh, uh, unforgiving. Uh, the prophet sees the mercy gift as weak on sin. Uh, you know, not careful, not holy. Sometimes you get those kind of feelings and even accusations if it gets too heated, uh, where it's really not an understanding of the gifts. Yeah, uh, and and, and oftentimes it it turns into again. This is this has happened to me often as a pastor. Uh, the these tensions can turn into arguments. Emotions get in the way, and uh, and 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 that's the end of the meeting. And and oftentimes those, you know, the impact of that can be lasting in relationships. Uh, Mark, what does it take for, let's say, a pastor listening to this or a leader uh, to appreciate the fact that God is actually at work in, in, in those kind of moments? Yeah, I think it, it needs, that, that individual needs to just realize that, um, you know, God has sent people with different gifts to his or her church. And so really having a good theology of, of, yes. of giftedness and you, and you, you call this a gift based ministry. Right. And, and you distinguish that I think from a problem based approach to, to gifts, but yeah, continue. So you realize first of all, that, you know, God inspires the gifts. He actually sends people to your church to help your church fulfill its unique uh, mission in the community where he's placed it. Uh, unfortunately, some of those folks come uh, are broken uh, and they need to mature. And sometimes the heatedness of a meeting where different gifts are operating is kind of in a uh, ignorance of the, of the personal maturity that's also being mixed up with the expression of the gifts. So there's a lot of things going on, but the dance of the gifts really explores the interplay of spiritual gifts particularly as it relates to ministry leadership. Uh, part of what compelled me to write this book was that when you look at the landscape of leadership material that pastors and church leaders are using to guide their decision-making, most of it reeks of business practices in the world. Most of it yes. reeks of uh, political uh, machinations, uh, finding ways to work the system. Uh, and so they have not filtered, and I'm guilty of this in the past too, we have not filtered our leadership models through the biblical grid. 
And quite honestly, this whole idea of discerning the Holy Spirit's leading for your church through the variety of gifts in the body is so obvious that we have completely missed it in Scripture. And we have, instead of recognizing how God speaks to and through gifted people in the congregation, uh, we've just kind of uh, done the cultural easy thing. Yeah, and not just speak, he works through the giftedness of his people. So the underlying theology here that perhaps needs to exist in a church in order for even to appreciate tension and, and to, you know, I wouldn't say relish, but to maybe value that, uh, requires us to see that, that and, you know, if God's going to work, he's going to work. When God works, he works through us. When he speaks, he speaks through us. Right. That's, that's fascinating. We don't, um, want so, to, we don't want to relish the tension. I'm not interested yeah, in creating a generation yeah, yeah, of yeah, cantankerous but, church leaders. Yeah, but value it. Sure. I think we need to recognize the tension tells us that we are we have not discerned the Lord's leading yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we get to the place of resonance, then all the tension fades into the background into the background and really changes into unity. Uh, but the tension is just kind of a waypoint uh, along the path to getting to discern what the Lord is saying. Yeah. I would just Can add you, to that. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, I would just add to that that as the church, as leadership grows in their understanding of this, I believe that part of God's agenda is to strengthen them. So, how do you strengthen uh, muscles on both sides of a joint? Is you work them out. So I think that as a church begins to apply this and leadership begins to apply this, that the challenges they face increase, that God will allow them to face tougher and tougher challenges. And so, you, you know, you get uh, as leaders kind of, the you know, we, we thought that learning this was going to make things easier on us. Let's, God's... Yeah. That's not God's way. He doesn't make things easier on us. He strengthens us to meet whatever challenges we face. And I think that that's where uh, learning, being ignorant of this doesn't save us or protect us. Right, right. Uh, But learning how to operate with this means we become more and more competent and see more and more of God's power released in and through our ministry when You've got everybody now kind of understanding how their gifts work and realizing that tension is a huge part of that uh, in order to strengthen us. If we can wait and work in tension until resonance occurs, uh, the impact on our body is going to be more and more uh, strength. Yeah, and I, 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 yeah, I picture a scenario where there's tension and conflict, and and having this in mind, uh, again, this theology, this this biblical idea of how God used, you know, uses the giftedness of people, uh, will will allow someone to say, hey, you know, let's let's stop here and and pray, and you talk about this at the end of your book that you know fast, seek God's heart on this. What is he saying to us? And then let's come back and continue the conversation. Uh, and that, that, that dials down the emotion, doesn't it? And, and th- this is very practical. I mean, I, 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 I picture, again, so many meetings where there was emotions and, and people reacting to the, to the justice person, the mercy person, 
and, and misinterpreting those things. Um, you, you call this a dance. In fact, the, the title of the book, Mark, is, you know, the dance of gifts. How, how did you come up? That was a resonance issue. That was kind of resonance. <laughs> we look for a law. We, how many titles did we give to that book, Mark? Uh, you, you shot me down many times. <laughs> <laughs> you finally agreed. Yeah, well, it was, it was yeah. a manifestation of, I think, what we were talking about at the yeah, beginning, exactly. where mm -hmm. our gifts were kind of working together, and we finally got resonance on the dance. Yeah, I had to just get out of my mind a picture of Mark dancing. That's a bad picture. That's a bad picture. You won't find many pictures like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mark, uh, pastors often tend to lead with maybe it's been given to them this this notion that they're the leader, they're in charge, they do most of the work, uh, and and we we see the outcome of that. There's there's burnout, there's fatigue, there's discouragement, there's anger. Um, if, if, it, you know, if he had this, you know, solid understanding that really uh, healthy ministries were, you know, everyone's utilizing their gifts, what steps should a pastor take? What needs to maybe change in his own heart to, uh, to maybe not be the main guy here, but, you know, he's a guy with a particular gifting and calling and, and for his church to be healthy, he, he wants to see what we're talking about happening. I think if he is himself uh, relationally and emotionally healthy, uh, it's just a matter of awareness and mm -hmm. discernment and understanding how these things work together. I, I think that kind of person uh, we could implement this kind of ministry fairly quickly, unless the church has been previously trained to lean on the pastor to such a degree that the other lay leaders become passive and. Um, and have been trained in that kind of mode for a long time. Uh, and he may have to do some, he may have to learn to be quiet until other people speak up, till you hear from other gifts. Uh, if, however, the pastor has a lack of self-awareness and he is operating out of kind of a strong role mentality because of his need to be strong, uh, he may not be able to transition into this very easily because he's operating out of his own insecurities. Mm -hmm. So this is very tricky, uh, but there are whole denominations that have fallen into the model you're describing, where they have looked to the pastor to be the leader, and no longer really is he function. He has a title pastor, but he's expected to function as a CEO. Uh, and you see some of this, especially as churches get larger and larger, and there are fewer people calling the shots. It's very easy to idolize the pastor and set him on a pedestal. And so some of that has to be relinquished uh, to operate in a biblical biblical fashion. Yeah, we call them Stephen Hawking churches, where you've got brilliance at the top. Yes. And, you know, withering. Body not, not functioning, yeah. Yeah. Body not yeah, that's sure. that struck me. That was apt, very apt. Uh, you write, Ken, uh, well, both of you write, Ken, love for your response to this, that if you faithfully grow the gifted people you have, learning to draw on all their gifts, he will send higher capacity people to your church. What are you saying here? Well, I think God, you know, teaches us stewardship in this regard. If we are good stewards of what he sends us, he'll send us more. Uh, I think it's part of uh, the, the nature of God. What our stewardships uh, show God is that we can handle 
what he's entrusted to us. And I think it's always been kind of, uh, I remember a CMA guy back when I was uh, early in ministry uh, talking about uh, uh, the dynamic of giving. He obviously had the gift of giving. He was a dentist. And I remember him uh, talking about, we give to get to give. Mm -hmm. And uh, was the way he put it. And that little uh, aphorism kind of stuck with me. And I think that that's the picture of stewardship. Uh, God entrusts things to you. You handle it well, he'll entrust more. Mm -hmm. You've proven you, you will handle it. If you don't, then he'll begin to dry up the resources. And I think that uh, the same is true with gifted people, that if you draw on the gifted people, and uh, there was a guy in Denver, I don't know whether you remember the, the book Unleashing the Church. Tillapaw, I think, was Frank Tillapaw, was the fellow who wrote that, who got himself in moral problems and ended up kind of a shipwreck. But the church, that, and what he describes in his book, was basically that. He just began to uh, entrust ministry to a lot of his people and talk about what God was putting on their heart to do and then facilitating that. So leadership is their job was to facilitate it. And boy, you know, ministry began to come out of all sorts of places that was pretty dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's an example of kind of what I'm talking about in terms of you start to uh, unleash people's gifts and uh, utilize them and listen to them and use it in as the body operates and i think god then yeah yeah and there has to be harmony there I, I i remember coming to a church one time and this created some tension where the previous pastor you know anybody any anytime someone came to him and said i want to do this he said go do it but it it didn't really a lot of it did not fit in, into the vision and mission of the church so uh but i, I think you're you're assuming that right when you're saying this that uh, that the releasing or unleashing uh, assumes that what they're bringing to the table uh, fits the vision of the church, right? Well, again, I think that's where sometimes we, uh, you have to be careful with that because that says that we have established a vision over here and it's inviolable. You know, we're not, we're, we're mm -hmm. not changing what we feel our vision is. When God sends somebody to you that may have a different, calling ministry gift what's our what's our job as leaders so are we so committed to our vision over here uh that we can't understand what god may be trying to do to either broaden us or interesting know, yeah that's good us? so so again sometimes mm -hmm. we make idols out of our visions mm -hmm. and then won't listen to god when god's trying to say you know i've got another idea here that that, you know, I have a burden for what's happening in your community that involves this kind of individual and this kind of ministry that we haven't put on our drawing board. So we yeah. don't want yeah, to. Yeah, that's good. That's, yeah, that's good. And, and that, that requires a lot of discernment. Uh, it sure does. And risk. And risk. Uh, that's, that's right. That's suggesting. Uh, Mark, help me, help me resolve something here. I've got some tension here with something. Speaking of tension, uh, we know that God's not a God of peace. Oftentimes, there's 
there's disruption. I wouldn't say chaos necessarily. Sometimes there is chaos or it feels like chaos. I think for a pastor, sometimes he, it might feel like chaos to him because he, you know, we, I remember talking a number of years ago with some guys about how we all feel like this could be taken away from us so quick. So there's this fear, insecurity. So we might interpret things as chaos, but they might not necessarily be, but where there's disruption, conflict, um, and, and yet we know God is a God of peace. What, what's going on when, when there is conflict, tension? Uh, how does God use, you sense, the, this gift-based ministry idea to bring about peace where there is either chaos or disruption or conflict or tension? And any examples you can think of where you saw that happen? So you're asking me uh, how to explain the role of the chaos as it relates to getting to the point where there's resolution. Yes. yes. And how God uses the giftings of people. Well, I think what people, about. I think most people operate in ignorance of these principles. And so there is not peace at the end. Mm-hmm. And, and we see a biblical example in um, the book of Acts with um, John, Mark, Paul, and Barnabas. Yes. Where now, now once you see, see the gifts operating through this paradigm, you look at that passage quite differently than historically we've looked at. But it's very easy to see within this paradigm that, you know, Barnabas had strong gifts of encouragement. Uh, We know Paul had strong gifts of apostleship. He's a go-getter. He's looking to start the next thing. And uh, John Mark, maybe gifts of service. And so when Paul and Barnabas had their dispute over whether to take Mark with them again it was chaotic it it was a severe uh argument and as a result they went their separate ways and one of the things we say in the book is that uh, we can often misinterpret uh dissension as uh, we can we can interpret dissonance as dissension and go off in separate directions because we think we can't agree but what we're really seeing is dissonance rather than resonance that we have yet to work through. Uh, when we step back and look at that passage, we see God had plans for all the men in that story. In the heated moment that it was occurring, none of those guys saw God's plans you know, unfolding. All they knew that was that they were in a huge conflict with each other and closely related people were, uh, were you know, torn apart from each other in a sense. And it's very ironic because in the beginning of the chapter, you have the beautiful unity Mm-hmm. That results from the Jerusalem Council through you know some real obvious examples of resonance there. So I think one one of the problems is we tend to misinterpret um, dissonance. We we think we have a um, uh, an unresolvable dispute with someone, or with another even another body of theology, and we cannot put it together. But God may be speaking through all this to accomplish some other goals. And so we just act in the flesh. We work out it. We end up divided and hurt. And we, and we, we kind of limp along trying to figure out what God's next plan is. That's, that's one part of the deal. There's a downside to resonance, though. Resonance, I had a, a scientist come to me after talking about this and explain what resonance really is. He says resonance is a bad thing. Hmm. Because resonance... Um, you know, when you're doing science experiments, you know, we've all seen the tuning fork, you know, that vibrates when you put it to another tuning fork with the same frequency. And so um, the initial 
impact of resonance is a vibration. Right? Something is vibrating. If the vibration gets louder, it actually becomes more dangerous, like the opera singer breaking a wine glass with her voice. There's mm -hmm. oscillation that's taking place. There's things <clears throat> getting out of whack. And there are times when we are trying to discern the Lord's will, when we have an internal sense of uh, dissonance and uh, a bad kind of resonance because we're not listening to what the Holy Spirit is telling us. I think we typically, as believers, label that a loss of peace. You know, if we don't have a peace about a decision, we're unsettled about it. If we move forward, uh, knowing we feel a, lot, a lack of peace about that decision, it usually comes back to bite us. And so there's a couple things going on. You do have to work through the, the conflicts that can evolve to try to step back and say, okay, what is God really doing here? Is it about the issue that we're upset about, or is God doing something else through the manifestation of our different perspectives and gifts on this issue? Or is this discomfort we feel uh, a sense that the Lord is leading us away from a particular opportunity, which we also see in the book of Acts when Paul and his friends tried to go to, uh, where were they? They tried to go to Ephesus, and then they tried to go somewhere else after that, and the Holy Spirit said, no, don't go. Mm -hmm. And they agreed together that they were hearing from the Lord about this. And then they ended up going to Europe uh, and seeing converts there and ended up back in Ephesus later. So we have this kind of needed internal sense, sensitivity. Maybe this is you know, going to be especially obvious to people with a gift of discernment, but the rest of us can learn discernment when we're seeing things not come together in the usual way they should or do or resolve in a peaceful outcome either number one we we're not really seeing what god is doing or number two god's leading us away from a particular decision yeah and, it, and it's act 16 right that you're referring to with paul being it, I, the phrase there i think he was kept by the holy spirit from going to i think it was bithynia uh, i could be right. wrong right. Uh, but so this is interesting to me that um i've always i've always interpreted that as you know or i've always wondered how did how did God, how did the Holy Spirit communicate that to him? Is it possible that it came from collaboration, interaction with his team? And, and that's, yeah. that is the conclusion. And the writer, of course, attributes that to the Holy Spirit. I mean, right. Ken, how do, you, how do you view that? Because I think that's, that's a perfect example, the very thing you're all talking about, where it's through the collective of the body that God speaks, not through, hey, we're looking to one guy to tell us what to do. You know, the pastor's vision. What's the pastor's vision for this church? And we're going to follow him. Uh, this is happening through yeah, I, I coming think, together and struggling. I, I think that, you know, it's clear that the one example we do have of kind of in that context of Acts 16 is Paul getting his Macedonian vision, coming to the team that he was with, which mm -hmm. included Luke and maybe Silas, and I'm not sure who else was uh, with him at that point. But he shared the dream. And Luke tells us that we concluded. Mm -hmm. That's true, yeah. We concluded. Very interesting word, that conclusion, too. Um, that we concluded that God was calling us you know, to go across the Dardanelles to Europe. So I think that uh, it's part of, Paul didn't assume that the dream meant that this is what they were supposed to do. He just shared it 
Mm-hmm. But the impact on the team was they heard that God was leading them. Just in, And I think what we get in that is probably an illustration of similar things that had happened when they tried to go into Bithynia and uh, I forget the other region that they tried to go into. But uh, where God was closing doors, not giving them peace, not giving them a sense that this is what we're supposed to do. And I think it was collective. One person may have had a real disquiet about it. Somebody else says, yeah, I don't feel good about this either. And they they then concluded together, this is not what God wants us to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that, but but that's where you get the dance imagery. Yeah, yeah. They're learning to dance with the Holy Spirit about this. He's leading them, but they've got to learn how to follow his lead. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that's happening as a team, as they're going through, you know, trying to carry out his mission. They want to go do ministry here, but God's saying, not now, not yet. I've got something else. And they were open to God communicating that to them. Yeah, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Well, we're going to, we're going to wrap up here. I'd like for each of you to to share, uh, you know, with a pastor or leader who's listening, um, and and maybe as you we started out, you know, what was the burden that led you to write this book? What what is one thing that you would, if you could just say one thing to to a pastor or church leader right now, um, that could possibly ignite something in them? It would encourage them. Maybe they're discouraged because they feel like everything is resting on them or there is conflict or tension and they're 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 very frustrated or fatigued by that uh, mark why don't you start and then can you you wrap it up I, I guess the thing that's occurring to me is i do not want to be uh overly judgmental toward pastors who have strong gifts of leadership uh, there are some guys out there who have the gift of leadership and have it in spades uh, that, however, does not mean that they can call all the shots, that they can be mm. insensitive to particular gifts in the body. Um, there's a phrase that I've heard, and it stuck with me a long time, and it's that sometimes the drums of leadership drown out the flutes of discernment. Hmm. And when you have a, a leader, and maybe he is a strong, gifted leader, and that's great. Uh, however, uh, you're going to train your people not to participate in leadership if you're calling the shots all the time. I don't want to diminish hmm. that person's gift. However, I worked in the, um, the business world for 10 years, 10, 12 years, and worked for one particular employer who used to use the, the DISC test, you know, the four, mm-hmm. the four kind of personality traits. And he would only hire salespeople who were high in one trait. And he would only hire engineers who were high in another trait. And he only picked people who were really high in these traits. And so hmm. <laughs> nobody could know how, no one knew how to relate to people who didn't have their trait. Mm-hmm. You know? And this can happen in the body of Christ where the whole body becomes an eye or the whole body becomes mm. an ear. And uh, we idolize certain gifts. And there can be. Uh, greatly gifted leaders, but I would caution those leaders that there can also come a great insensitivity to the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is saying through the other parts of the body that he has placed in that leader's congregation. I just encourage them to really be a good leader by learning to discern 
what the Lord is saying through the entire body. Mm. Good word. Wonderful. Ken? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, a part of what our ministry has sensitized us to is understanding corporate pain and the messages in corporate pain that God has for a church. So if a pastor is experiencing painful things, uh, stepping back and understanding that God hasn't left the throne, he hasn't uh, gone off to some far corner of the universe and forgotten them, uh, that there's a reason for that pain. And part of the solution to that is learning how to hear what the Lord is saying to the church. If it's a, a church in pain, a body in pain, then the message in pain is always that there's something wrong somewhere. And uh, for a pastor to try and figure that out on his own, he's got his own baggage that he's mm -hmm. got that's coloring all of that. What you really need is to get the church attuned to what the Lord is saying to it. And I think that that's all a part of what gifts have been given to do within the body. Mm. To help all the, just like, uh, you know, I think the gifts in the body are similar to all the organs that we have functioning. And that brain is constantly getting messages from those things. That, that a pastor really needs to, try to discern what Jesus is saying to the church and use the gifts for that primary focus to help figure out what's wrong here. What is Jesus telling us is wrong here? And the only way I'm going to figure that out is if I listen to the gifts that God has given us. Mm -hmm. So I would hope that our book would become the instrument of, and it's certainly been my wife's and my prayer as we pray about, the book, uh, that God will put this in the hands of ministries that perhaps have struggled to hear from God and are in the midst of pain, mm. that, that God would use this to teach pastors and leaders at board <clears throat> level how to, how to hear from him again and to deal with the issues that he may be talking to them about through the pain that the church is undergoing. Uh, and how to heal the broken trust that may be there. So that would be kind of my passion mm. for it. And, and again, I think that just, it's always been my passion ever mm. since God kind of led our church through healing in Toronto to, yeah. to see churches that are unhealthy get healthy again. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, good, uh, good encouraging words. I, I'm thinking you, you actually have a section where you talk about Ephesians 4 and we're, uh, you know, accustomed to how, you know, that's verse 11, where God has given, Christ has given the apostles, prophets, evangelists, etc., to equip for works of service. So we don't often see that tied to verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed and uh, back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. I mean, that's chaos. That's disruption. And, you know, the, the, the gift-based ministry brings about maturity in the lives of believers and, and it brings us to the measure of the fullness of Christ, which is the goal that he has for all of us. Uh, so this, this is about the gospel. This is about, uh, you know, pe people being transformed by what Christ did for us. And I uh, just wanted to mention that in closing, um, this, this has been wonderful. And I will certainly look forward to hearing 
people's response and uh, we'll make the book available as well. Not free, obviously, just the information about the book will be available. So thank you so much, Mark and Ken. You guys did a great job communicating this. Thank you. You're welcome. It's our pleasure. Really appreciate it, Mitch. Thank you. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. And again, you can go to our website and look at resources there. You can get information on how to contact Blessing Point and even order the book, The Dance of the Gifts, which is also obviously available on Amazon. If you have any questions, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us or maybe comments that you want to make about today's episode. Uh, But until next time, I really urge you to stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.